What is up, my friend? Welcome back to MPI Radio. Unless you're new, then welcome to MPI Radio. I'm your host, James Allen, helping you make your own massive, positive impact in the world. And sometimes I call for a little bit of help from my friends because I don't want to do it all by myself. I believe in teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. And the dream is to help you be all that you can be. So today, we do have an expert interview. Today is uh, Barbara Rubel. I hope I said the last name right, but she is a speaker, wonderful keynote speaker, an author, and a leading authority in compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. Also, she specializes in helping people avoid burnout, which is going to be a big topic for today. She's written several books, and one of her biggest ones has been, But I Didn't Say Goodbye, Helping Families After a Suicide. Barbara, how are you doing today? I'm well. Thank you for inviting me to be on your program. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks for being here. I got to say, mm-hmm. when I first, uh, we were first connecting on LinkedIn and I saw that, uh, or you told me about your book and I heard that title, I like got emotional inside. I was like, wow, that's a heavy title, you know, but I didn't say goodbye. And it's like, the title is huge with everything, but it's like, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a real thing. And I've never had to experience like a suicide or anything actually scratch that I did with a, uh, it was one of my cousins actually. Wow. We're going in heavy right here, but yeah, she had a, um, a uh, drug overdose from narco- like prescription pills. And, uh, I was really, really young and it just popped into my head, but never like someone in my like mom or dad never passed from suicide or anything like that, but it's a real thing. And a lot of people don't talk about it. People avoid it. They try and run away from it, but there's a lot of psychological effects that come with. And I think, you know, this from experience in your own life, which inspired you to get into uh, this work, you know, mm-hmm. as well. So um, yeah, what, what kind of uh, let's just kind of go here now, but we'll talk about a little bit of suicide. I mean, it seems really heavy. I've never talked with anybody yeah. about like suicide on my mm-hmm. podcast before, but I think it's really big. You know, people want to make a big impact in the world or just live an enjoyable life. Not everybody wants to make millions of dollars or change the world in some massive way, but it's the small mm-hmm. changes that can lead to those big changes. And um, people deal with suicide. It's a real, real thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of what's your story? How do you know about this firsthand? What inspired you to kind of write that book too? My father was a retired New York City police officer, and my mom was also a retired New York City cop, and he used her weapon to end his life. His suicide note said that he had deteriorating discs, he couldn't live with the pain, and he ended his life. However, he did that when I was in the hospital giving birth, not to one baby, not to two babies, but to triplets. So how do I, as a daughter, await the birth of my triplets because they, they were is still in utero for several weeks. They, they were born three weeks later. But because I was actively in labor and they were trying to keep the babies inside of me, I could not attend my father's funeral. I could not attend the wake. I could not create all the rituals that I needed to do as a daughter to this man that I loved. And it was so hard to believe that this loving father my mother and father had a great relationship. He was a good man that he would end his life right before becoming a grandpa. Mm-hmm. How do you wrap your mind around that? Well, that's why I wrote the book, but I didn't say goodbye. For suicide mm-hmm. loss survivors, we could people will say, oh, you know, your daughter was, so, you know, you had such a good relationship. Your, your cousin, she, you have such great memories of, of her as a child, but, but I didn't say goodbye. 
And that's what's so difficult for suicide loss survivors. We did not have the opportunity to say goodbye, to prevent the suicide. For many of us, we didn't even know that there were signs or you know, red flags to look for. Back when my father killed himself in 1986, there weren't really many organizations dedicated to suicide loss survivors, otherwise called postvention. However, now anyone listening realizes that they are not alone, that there are organizations like the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, the American Association of Suicidology, SPAN, SAVE, uh, Friends for Survival. There are organizations online, support groups online. I facilitated a support group back in 1994, Solace, Sharing Our Loss After Suicide. But now there are podcast hosts like yourself inviting me to, to talk about suicide openly. We're back in the 80s. I don't think this ever would have happened. There wasn't even a podcast on, but we wouldn't really have that opportunity. So now there's less stigma, there's less shame because people like yourself are allowing suicide loss survivors like me to talk about it. So we're not alone. People are traumatized by suicide, by homicide, drug misuse, death, heroin overdoses. So sometimes we don't even know, was it an overdose or was it a suicide? Many unanswered questions. So this gives us an opportunity to at least acknowledge how hard it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I was really young when um, my, my cousin had passed away, but it was just, just seeing the aftermath in my family. Cause I didn't have a really like deep relationship with her. We'd hung out a couple of times. And again, Mm -hmm. I was really little, so we didn't really like hang out, you know, for a long time, really build that deep relationship. Um, but seeing like my uncle and my aunt who were her parents and just like the devastation that comes with it, especially when someone takes their own life, like that's a, it's heavy, you know? And again, I've never had anybody on the podcast where I've actually talked about this, but I'm, I mean, I know that people struggle with going through all of this. How do you kind of like, how do you help people with this? Do you find it's best for people to just kind of speak to someone about and just providing that space, that unconditional love for them? Or do you have a process Mm -hmm. that you take people through? What is it? I think every single suicide loss survivor is unique. There are some that need a support group. They Mm -hmm. are intuitive type grievers and they want to share, they want to emote, they want to listen to other people. For myself, I'm more of an instrumental type griever and I didn't personally need that as much as writing my book that was more important to me or Mm. learning the research and imparting that research to to other suicide loss survivors or professionals who help suicide loss survivors. So as an educator. And so my focus is realizing that suicide postvention is suicide prevention because we need Mm. to talk about this topic. We need to talk about grief. My master's is in thanatology, which is the study of death and dying. Now, when I'm doing my keynote speeches, I'll say I'm a thanatologist and people are looking like, wow, pretty cool. Cause they have no clue that I'm the specialist in grief. And they're like, then they're like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, why would you do that? I do it because people grieve. And I want them to understand that there's trauma. We are traumatized by certain things. And we also grieve many things loss is death related and non-death related. 
So mm. I just want to educate people about the grief process so they can live their life. And, and if they need coaching along the way, they have people like yourself who can help them and guide them based on their own personality and their own strengths. Cause I love to go towards someone's strengths, not their weaknesses. Of course. Yeah. Well, yeah, like you said, it's, you have to talk about it and that takes so much courage to actually talk about it, which is why these groups are so valuable and having a coach or someone. And even when I work with people, like I'll do a, you know, a call with someone and then I don't do video calls when I do it because uh, I actually do audio only calls on zoom or a phone call because with video people won't be as transparent. I found. So when you actually, and I've had people like, they were talking to me, like I'm literally in the fetal position right now, you know, mm -hmm. not that I'm like, you know, some crazy, I mean, I'll, I'll, I provide a space for transformation. That's where people really open up. And that's the most important thing. Cause the more transparent that clients can be with me, I'm sure it's the same with you. You know, the more transparent that we can be, the better we can feel facilitate results because the honesty is the best policy, of course. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, people are like literally crying their eyes out and they wouldn't be able to do that if I was on a video call. Um, but people go through grief. They go through so much trauma. When you say, I'm curious, when you say that uh, you said that like grief is something that we deal with, even without a loss, like what are some other examples mm -hmm. that you can say? There's non-finite loss. There's disenfranchised grief. There's so many types of losses. Take for instance, COVID-19. A lot of people lost their workspace. They were mm -hmm. comfortable in an office. They liked being around their coworkers. They lost that professional, personal experience. Yeah. Going out with friends, you know, just going out for a drink after work to calm down, to relax, to mingle, whatever. Dating, going to a prom for these young people. Now, go, not going to your prom as an 18-year-old boy or girl or, or transgender. Sure. What, whatever you you are looking forward to that date. You are looking forward to that prom. Now that they were not allowed to go to their prom, that will live with them as a loss for the rest of their life. We can't diminish that loss. A person who wanted to get pregnant and could not get pregnant, that's a loss. Mm. Divorce is a loss. So it doesn't have to be a death-related loss. We are impacted by all those little losses, even having to move for children, especially uh, if parents have to sell their house because of finances, and now they have to make all new friends, go to a new school. So there are many losses in life. As a child who is abused, the loss of a sense of safety and trust. So we have to think about how we look at loss and define it in our own way based on non-death and death-related. Mm. Wow. Very powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. I've, um, we were talking beforehand that, you know, I think what makes you such a professional in this, not just the fact that you've been doing it for 25 years, you know, but also the fact that you, you know, firsthand, like you've been there, you've done that. You use the book actually as a way to process it, you know, mm -hmm. to get it out and to help people at the same time. That's really cool. I think that's a really, really awesome way. And I think that you know, we, we, I shared with you that saying about, you can only help someone as deep as you've gone inside yourself. And it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's real, you know, and I I've been through quite a bit with my own family and just hearing what you say. It's like, I remember actually one time I was in this really big, uh, 
or it was not it was like some huge one, but it was in like an elite mastermind. And I was in front of 13 people that were fairly new to me. And they see me as like the strong, like young guy who stands tall, you know, I'm six, two, I'm the tallest guy in the world or anything, but uh, they just see me because I hold myself well, you know, mm-hmm. and I was sitting in the chair and we're talking and it was a hot seat and I'm talking with this person. It's the first time I've ever shared this on a podcast too, but um, I still had pieces from my childhood that still got emotional. I still get emotional from, you know, and it's like, it, it takes me more time now that I think about it to like really find those things where like, if I talk about it, I actually start to choke up inside because mm-hmm. I still have processing. I'm not going to say that I'm like some perfect being at this, but like I've talked with a lot of counselors, a lot of therapists. I grew up going to therapists because everybody knew my story and my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had almost lost my dad. My mom actually shot my dad in the head and it went inside of his cheek and then down throughout his chin. And I grew up like five to eight years old was the absolute worst of it. But it was even before that with alcohol abuse, drug abuse, and physical violence in my family that I had to witness between my mom and my dad mostly. And they killed each other multiple times. And I never knew if they were going to come home or what. And then she would end up carrying the gun because he had almost killed her. And it was just this whole calamity, this whirlwind of madness. But I was in this mastermind group and I'm sitting there and it's like my one time in the hot seat, I get like 30 minutes of just like pure, like everybody there talking with me and I'm sharing my story because people don't really know me. And I shared this one experience where my dad, like we kicked him because my sister and I, we kicked him when we were a kid because he tackled my mom. And then we walked over or um, he got really mad at me. And then I was driving with him. He was driving me to school or something. We're stuck in traffic. And I remember he was just like screaming in my ear, you know, um, about how I like kicked him and all these things. I'm this little kid. And I remember looking down the railroad tracks. We were like parked on these abandoned railroad tracks. I remember looking down them and I wanted so badly to open up the door and just run away, but I was too scared. So I never did it. You know, Mm -hmm. even when I say it, it's like a little part of me still comes up and gets emotional, but I shared that experience and saw that picture of the railroad tracks in this mastermind group. And I literally just like, couldn't even control myself. I'm like, James, what are you doing? That's what I'm thinking in my head. And I was just bawling my eyes out in front of all these mm-hmm. people. And everyone's blown away. Like, whoa, I thought that this guy was some like big, like strong dude, you know, just here to like grow his business or whatever, which I was. And um, yeah, I just couldn't even help it. But it was by talking about it, by expressing it, you know, in that in that setting too. I don't know what it was, but like, I couldn't even talk for the rest of the day, really, I did like minimal talking throughout the rest of the day. And it was on like the second day that we, um, it was a three day mastermind and yeah, it was a, it was an intense experience for me, but that's why like, for me, I personally seek it because I'm in a coaching position. It's like a leadership Mm -hmm. role is the way I see it. And you mentioned too, that you deal with coaches as well, that kind of like, or people that want to, you know, help people, you know, and they, they go through trauma, typically like coaches, for example, and then they start working on themselves. They fall in love with personal development, they're getting results, and then they want to go help people. What, what do you kind of run into when you're working with like coaches or consultants or speakers and things like that, that want to make an impact, but still haven't Mm -hmm. resolved the trauma? That each and every one of us has an inner child. And Mm -hmm. when you were sitting in that chair, six foot two, strong and tall, uh, you were still that little boy who wanted to run away. And perhaps there was a, a little guilt in, in the kicking, in that act of kicking or feeling whatever you were feeling in that, but you were protecting, you were protecting your mother. Mm-hmm. And so that, that strong little boy took the abuse from the father screaming in your ear because you were the kicker, but that kick represented so much. You're also right. a protector 
And you also recognize that you're, you're limited as a child what you can do, that even though you knew opening up that car door and running as far away as him as you could would be the healthiest thing, but you couldn't do that. So you're trapped. Right. And that little boy, that inner child is still trapped inside of you. But in that moment, you felt safe enough to share your story, to share mm -hmm. your pain, to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think when we show our vulnerability to others, that is yep. showing them our greatest strength. That is saying, yeah, you know what? I am human and this is hard, but I'm crying through it. I'm screaming through it. I'm getting into a fetal position like a lot of people do when, when they're on a call with you. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. You know, hey, not, I'm, not, not everybody, I'm, but I'm it sitting happens. in this chair. Yeah. Okay, No matter what, I am not getting on the floor because <laughs> in my age, I won't be able to get up. Right. Um, but, but that's such strength, you know, and yeah. it's just acknowledging that we all have a story. We all have what's called a loss narrative or trauma narrative. It becomes a part of our being, a part of our world. And in that world, we have to recognize that we have what's called an assumptive world. We assume that our shoes are going to be where we left them, that the radio is going to wake us up in the morning, and that the car, when we put the keys in the ignition, the car will start. We don't assume that a pandemic will take over our lives, that we may lose our job, lose our friends, uh, become depressed, even become suicidal or feel hopeless and helpless. Mm. Our world is shattered. And that's why we need to look at our world and try to surround ourselves with people that are healthy and let go of people that are not good for us. And that's good because that's another, it's another loss. Mm. So it's hard to do, even though it's a good thing. So right. work on letting go of relationships that don't fulfill you. And, and again, like we mentioned before, look at your strengths. Like my, my best strength is love of learning. I love mm -hmm. to learn. So I'm constantly looking at research. Now that love of learning gives me the opportunity to continually read the research about um, instilling hope and, and just becoming powerful within yourself and all the things that you work on. So the thing is people always move to their weaknesses. If I have a love of learning and I'm learning effective ways to manage stressors in my life, and then my other strength is wisdom, knowing I like to impart that information to others, mm -hmm. then there's my strengths and I'm good. So we need to focus in like, what are your strengths? If it's creative, then, it, then you know, how are you using your creativity to manage all the stressors in life? If it's passion, if it's faith, I mean, there's a billion strengths. Sure. You know, we just need to focus on that instead of our weaknesses in order to cope with all the things that we're, we're going through. Mm, very powerful. Um, let's talk about burnout real quick. Mm -hmm. You you help a lot of people and like, I mean, executive teams, it sounds like, you know, and based off your LinkedIn profile and uh, yeah, you work with teams, you work with people and individuals about this, but burnout's a really big thing to me because one of the big topics is high performance concepts and mm -hmm. high performance is about avoiding that burnout, you know, along the way. So I'd love to hear more about you mm -hmm. and anything I can learn from you. Cause I'm an avid learner myself about mm -hmm. how do you help people cope with burnout and um, yeah, what's kind of your process with that? Mm -hmm. Again, it has to be on an individual level. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that they are experiencing burnout when they're not. They're really experiencing compassion fatigue. Mm -hmm. Many people come to me, 
are, are healthcare professionals too. And so they're working with other people, nurses, psychotherapists, leaders. And as a position of, of leadership, no matter where you are in life, you work with others, you're training others, you're listening to stories, you're helping people. And sometimes that story stays with you. And at the end of the day, you, you just can't get rid of the other person's issues, the other person's problems they're, that mm. they're facing because you're working with them and you want to help, but they're just stuck. So you take burnout, which is just the exhaustion from doing your job and the exhaustion of helping or experiencing that secondary traumatic stress where the other person experienced primary stress, their problem, but somehow you're experiencing the same symptoms that they're experiencing, but they went through the, the problem. So you have the issue of burnout where you just are just too tired to move onward and you have secondary trauma or you have vicarious trauma. Think of all the people that you're helping as a coach and they share their story of trauma and loss and life transition and horrors, domestic violence, sexual assault, drug misuse death. At the end of the day, as a coach, for instance, some of those stories stay with you. They, they, they reach deep inside your core. And so you need to look inward and say, why is this story affecting me? Mm. Why am I so burned out? Is it because of the people I'm working with? Is it the job itself? Am I a good fit? And should, should I be attached to this position? Should I move on? I think we need to just recognize that we need to choose paths in life that parallel our value system, that parallel our, our strengths, that move us in a direction that, that meets the core of who we are. Like mm -hmm. you as a coach, you enjoy working with other people. You can't be a coach if you don't like other people. Yeah. So it, it matches who you are. You have a less chance of burnout because you want to provide assistance to others. You would have burned out in the first two weeks of listening and helping and coming up against roadblocks if you didn't have a passion for what you do. Mm -hmm. So to prevent burnout, look at where you are in life. Look at your job. Look at all the things that you have to accomplish at the end of the day. And if they don't match your value system, if the people that you work with don't share the same beliefs as you in regard to work ethic, um, it's just like this picture that I, I showed during my keynotes of one line down the highway. That's all this guy had to paint. He was the painter on the truck and mm. he, he's in charge of painting that one line. And you see how he goes straight painting the line until he hits a tree and then he goes around the tree. And so you have to think if you were working with this person, would you get out of the truck? Would you get out of the truck and move the tree so you can do your job and do it well by painting that line straight down the highway. Some people say, ah, I would have just gone over the tree or I would have done the same thing. We need to work with people who share our values and then there's mm -hmm. less chance of burning out. And then also think about how do you personally define burnout? What does that mean to you? What would you say? For burning out, I think that it is when people, I mean, for a big piece, like I, I believe in the energetic piece, which is like what you're talking about, because like what you're talking about too, another way to rephrase it is alignment. When you have a team that's in alignment and they're like the same values as you, the same way of thinking, when you're in a relationship where someone's completely different beliefs as you, someone's completely Christian, you know, believes in faith, and then the other person's just 
doesn't believe in anything like that mm-hmm. atheist then it's good there's going to be conflict in some way because that's who they are it's their their values and their beliefs when i think about burnout it's more about i think from a performance standpoint um and i do work with people in like forgiveness as well uh, mm-hmm. So it is the energetic piece, but also like just running yourself to the ground. So many people run themselves to the ground, especially entrepreneurs or coaches or professionals. And they never really think about taking the time off to go do something fun. So I, when I work with people, every time we have a win, even if it's small or a big win, I tell them, how are you going to go celebrate? Cause we need mm-hmm. to have like that little kid inside of you, you know? Yes. And it's like, I love skydiving. So I'll go skydiving. If I have a big win, um, I love to go skydiving regularly. I'm a, I'm a certified skydiver or play music, you know, or, you know, those kind of things. Like I love outdoor activities. So it's like, that's Mm -hmm. my way of expressing joy, but whatever the person's way of expressing joy, a lot of my clients, it's with their kids. So it's like, okay, how are you going to celebrate? And then they say, I'm going to go, you know, walk my dog. Like to them, that's a way that they celebrate. So with burnout, I think that celebrating the successes along the way um, and taking the time out and you do have to have like control of your schedule. Like Sundays, I don't do anything on Sundays. It's like no obligations. I'm mm-hmm. just hanging out. That's what my girlfriend and I did yesterday. Cause today is Monday. We went horseback riding and I, I went for the first time, actually in my life, I went riding, uh, like galloping on mm-hmm. or canter, I guess is what it is. We were full blown riding on the horses on the beach. And it was mm-hmm. the coolest experience. I wow. couldn't help but smile and feel alive inside, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, there's always things to be working on. So I think that that, that's what I think of when I'm, when I think about the, um, the burnout portion. It's like having a nice balance between the things that you really enjoy and the celebrations and celebrating the wins along the way. There's a lot of psychology that goes into that as well. Um, but definitely like what you're talking about, the energetics piece about the alignment portion, like the thoughts you're thinking or the surroundings mm-hmm. that you're in it. Like for me, I was in construction work and mm-hmm. uh, that's what my dad did. So I just followed his footsteps and went into it. And I felt so empty when I was at work. I became a certified skydiver when I was doing that. I played shows with my band. I had awesome friends outside. Everything outside was in alignment. I was like, this is amazing. But when I got to work, I felt like I had chains hooked to my feet, like hundred pound chains. And I had to run around, do all this work. And I was climbing a ladder that I didn't want to climb. And then I found out about coaching and it was in alignment because I would run to the bathroom to just like get away from work and read. Right. How can I, can this coaching thing work for me? Can it work for me? Um, my story, I know I have a story, you know, and I'm working on it and stuff and I get to grow. I loved personal development. Mm-hmm. And um, the more I thought about it, the more I fell in love with it, the more I read, about, read up on it, the more I fell in love with it. So it really is the alignment portion, I believe, with uh, avoiding that burnout piece and being able to celebrate the successes, devoting time off. Uh, like I think clocking in and clocking out. A lot of entrepreneurs that I've seen, I've been this person before, they just work nonstop because they have dreams. They want to build something and not having like a clock in clock out time. And you can make it like a nine hour day. You can make it a six hour day, an eight hour day, a 10 hour day, whatever you want to do, but have a day or a time where you clock out and it's like, I'm done, you know, mm-hmm. and just be content with what got done today. And I think all these little things really stem into burnout. So that's my long winded answer for that. <laughs> no, I, no, I think that's great. And I appreciate that, but most people have apathy where they just don't care and they're, they're cynical, they're pessimistic, they are not optimistic at all. And so they can't even think about getting on the horse to gallop on, or cancer on the beach. They can't even think that they're, they don't even see the horse or the opportunity because they 
are, are so tired. So I think it also moves to, to deal with burnout is to build your resilience, to find a way to build your resilience. And if you could go deep within yourself, then you can find the horse. It's about mm. finding the horse. That's the bottom mm. line. Like in, in my programs, I talk about being fabulous, like the mm. fabulous coach, the fabulous speaker, fabulous. And what I did was I looked at the research the last 10 years of research on building resilience in people who are coping with non-death and death-related losses. Mm -hmm. And what I found is F-A-B-U-L-U-S, F is flexibility, cognitive flexibility, being mm -hmm. able to reframe the way you think, brainstorming, looking at that, what you're thinking about in a not in a negative way or an all or nothing way. Mm -hmm. And then A is attitude. Try to have a, a positive attitude about things, or at least realize where your attitude comes from. Why are you biased? Why do you not like those people? Whatever it is, like look at your attitude in life. Next is, is B, that's boundaries, keeping your boundaries, learning how to say no, knowing that there are limits to what you can take and what you should accept from other people. You is understanding job satisfaction. Why do you like being a coach? Why do you like doing what you do? What, what satisfies you about your position in life? Mm -hmm. F-A-B-U-L is laughter, finding joy, know what tickles your funny bone. Mm -hmm. O is being optimistic. U is being united and connected with others. And during my program, so many people will tell me that they're connected to their dog or their cat, and that's what keeps them alive, which is amazing. Sure. And then S is self-compassion. It's being kind to yourself. Even when you screw up, it is about saying other people screw up too. I'm not the only one that screws up and to try to keep that in balance. So F-A-B-U-L-O-U-S. And why this resonates in me right now is when you share that you were in that chair during that brainstorming meeting, you know, yep. that, that you were so vulnerable that you, because you are so resilient, you could bounce back from that experience and share it on this podcast openly. I think that's what we learn from each other, that we screw up, that things go wrong, that people leave us, that life isn't fair, that we're managing this pandemic. And you know what? We may cry through it. We may shake our fists through it. We may have to kick our father out of the way to survive. But our stories stay with us every single part of our life. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I heard a, uh, I saw a really cool saying the other day um, that said, enjoy the good old days while you're in them. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking of that, like thinking of that, like my experience yesterday, riding on the beach with my girlfriend, that was the first time that I'd ridden on the beach, <clears throat> excuse me, on a horse. And then looking over, seeing my girlfriend with me, it's like, this is awesome. You know, this is the first time we've done this together. And I just kept saying that the whole time because it was my Sunday, no obligations. I'm taking the day for me, you know, which is boundaries, like you said, fabulous. Mm -hmm. And I think that's like the clock out time or the clock in time for your work, especially if you're an entrepreneur or if you're on a job, clock out and like inside clock out, whatever. Maybe mm -hmm. you do that in some way. Maybe you like wear a hat all the time for work and mm -hmm. you take the hat off and you put it on when you lay it on the hook. I'm clocked out. I'm done. And now I'm being present with my family or with my dog or my cat or whatever you're doing. But it's I was symbolic. enjoying, yeah, yeah, you know, and just doing something that's really helpful for people. But uh, mm -hmm. that's like the good old day for me. And I think that even like the struggles that we go through, we'll be able to look back. Cause like you said, like I'm able to share my story, you know, about the craziness that happened to my family and not 
break down. That's why I can share it on stages when I'm speaking. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's always to serve other people, you know, but that's, um, and in a way, like the entrepreneurial, like struggles that people go through, or even just the struggles of now. And then we grow from them. We look back and we're like, Oh, like kind of the good old days in a way, because it's like, it led me up to being who I am. And like, I, I would never wish upon like what I went through on anybody, but I'd wish where it took me on everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think you that's experience post-traumatic growth. That that's what you have got. Are you familiar with post-traumatic growth? Uh, it, it's, vaguely, it's growing. Yeah. It, it, it's growing from a traumatic experience. And what happens when we have this post-traumatic growth, we first basically you, you look at life in a new way. There's new possibilities. Like you may not have been a coach if you, this didn't happen to you in your lifetime. So it, you reevaluate your, priori- reevaluate your priorities in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, your relationship with your girlfriend you might have better relationships because you realize with your mom and dad's relationship that it can go south very fast. And you realize how, how significant this is to have a healthy, re- normal relationship. Yep. So you experience post-traumatic growth based on your, your parents' relationship that that wasn't good you have personal growth you're stronger because of what happened to you as a child and right. maybe spiritual development because oh, yeah. you know maybe your faith is is important to you that that mm-hmm. you know god is is present in your life new possibilities you know being grateful being grateful for for what you do have because you based on your childhood realized how bad it could be mm-hmm. and so you experience this growth because of the trauma you experienced early in life. And I think if we teach people that, that it's okay to grieve a lifetime, Mm -hmm. that there are triggers in life, especially when we share our story, that we might be triggered, but that we're human. You know, we're we're human and it's okay to feel whatever it is you're feeling, but being able to share that with people who get it. Don't share and don't open up because there are too many idiots out there. So you have to share your story with those who can contain it, can hold you in it and yeah. not be fearful of, oh my gosh, they're breaking yeah. down. Or judgmental. You know, we, yeah. Oh, and there are, when, when my father uh, killed himself, I did share that with people. And some people, I mean, I'll tell you the story. I was doing a keynote address for a mental health Congress. So everyone in attendance was therapist, social worker, psychiatrist. At the end of the keynote, people clapped and I was about ready to get off the stage and someone in attendance climbed the steps. Usually you don't come onto the stage. You wait for the speaker to get off the stage. I was like, what's going on? And she spoke right into my lavalier phone and said into my my mic. Uh And she said, that was a great keynote, but you do know your father's in hell. Oh my God. Oh, Whoa. How do you say that to a speaker? Well, my lavalier mic was still on. So everyone in attendance at this mental health Congress heard that. And you could hear a pin drop. And I just said to her, God bless you. Cause what do you, I mean, they're paying me. I can't yeah. hit her, you know, I mean, I lose, <laughs> I lose my honorarium. So right. I just said, God, you know, so I said, God bless you. And I walked off the stage, but then all these compassionate, empathetic, intelligent, loving people, needed to tell me that my father was not in hell. Yeah. So there was a line out the door, Barbara, your father's not in hell. Barbara, your father's not in hell. Barbara, mm-hmm. you, by the time the 40th person told me that I started to believe like, maybe I, they know something that I don't know. Like, What's going <laughs> on here? And I was like, ladies and gentlemen, please, I'm okay. 
no more hugs. I can't, I couldn't take it anymore. Like the mm. absorption of, of compassion. Mm. But you see, even at a Congress, a mental health Congress, people still say the wrong thing. In life, people will say the wrong thing or turn away, especially if it's a suicide or a homicide or a sudden violent death. And they see you in a supermarket, people won't want to even talk to you because they mm. don't know what to say. I worked as a hospice bereavement coordinator and people would come up to me and say, well, what should I say? You know, what should I, when I go up, is there anything special I should say? Just sit down, you know, mm. shake their head, you know, hand, give them a hug, say, you're sorry. You don't, yeah. you don't have to have all these words, just mm. be present. The gift of presence as a coach, you're a coach. Sometimes, you know, that bond that you share, just listening to someone and just being present, it's okay to have the silence. We don't always have to blah, 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 the silence. Wayne Dyer said, it's not the bars that keeps the animal in the cage. It's the space between the bars. And it's not the musical notes that make the beautiful song. It's the space between the musical notes. Mm. So silence is, is really great. But years ago, I was practicing a speech that I had to give. And I said that. And my like, nine-year-old son came in and said, mom, you're talking about silence. Maybe you should think about keeping silence. <laughs> <laughs> he walked out. I was like, wait a minute. The what nerve. <laughs> I'm the nerve of that child. <laughs> He's like, maybe you should work on your silence a bit more, uh, mom. Uh, I was like, oh my God. Children, yeah, it's such right. a blessing. <laughs> There's a, I don't remember who it is, but um, so my, what the woman that I got certified through, her name's Mary Morrissey. And she was actually, she learned from the same mentor, Jack Boland uh, with Les Brown. It was her, oh. Les Brown and Wayne Dyer. And they were a, a triage like group that was learning from this man, Jack Boland. And Mary Morrissey told me about this one therapist. He was some really, really famous therapist guy. I can't recall his name. I'll look it up and tell you later. But um, mm -hmm. he said that the therapist's one job is to provide a space with unconditional positive regard for mm -hmm. this person. And that's it. So I think like as a person listening right now, whether you've gone through some serious trauma and are dealing and practicing the things that we talk about and hear the compassion, all this stuff, uh, or maybe you know someone and you're just like, how do I actually respond to people like this? Cause it's happened in my life. Or if it does happen in my life, I want to know how to respond. And like you said, you know, just be silent. Sometimes just a hug with the intention mm -hmm. of unconditional positive regard towards this person. Cause like people, we have vibes. That's the energy piece. It's called a vibe because it's a vibration inside of you. Mm -hmm. So when you could give someone a hug and just feel that intense compassion and unconditional love towards this person and give them a hug that says more words than your mouth can say ever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that that, that's something big. Cause everyone's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And like, I'm sorry. is one of those terms where it's like, mm -hmm. I love you. Like you could say it so many times, but it feels like you never say it enough. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's a huge thing that you can do. Just like give someone like a, that hug with that unconditional positive regard inside of you. And yeah, you know, I, I provide that for my clients too. And when I'm doing calls with people and like they, it's not like all the time this happens. I don't want anyone to think that it does, but when people get like really emotional, they get in the fetal position or something, which has happened. Um, I'm typically not saying anything, you know, it's mm -hmm. coming from them and it's, dead silent. And then they say, I'm like, I just let them do their thing. And then they say, I'm literally in a fetal position right now after like 20 seconds of silence, which feels mm -hmm. like an hour, <laughs> but I just sit there and just kind of let them be in their, in their zone. 
um, yeah, I think this is such a powerful conversation, but, um, we are going a little over, so we're going to start closing in coming in for a landing. And there's actually, I said that there's, I don't do like five questions to do very intuitive interviews, which I enjoy. Um, but there's one question that I ask everybody at the end of the interviews, that's always the same question. And it's Barbara, what is your MPI? So what's the massive positive impact that you want to see, create, or be a part of in this world? I want to help professional helpers, the caregivers, the nurses, the therapists, the social workers, the clinicians, practitioners. I want to help them stay healthy, to manage their burnout, to manage their compassion fatigue, their secondary trauma and vicarious trauma, so they can continue doing the job they love, helping others. It's the bottom line. We as professionals have to stay healthy because then who's going to help the suicide law survivors or the people that need a coach? Who's going to help them if we don't help ourselves? Yeah. Yo, what's something that you uh, mentioned earlier when you were talking about fabulous? I do not recall which letter it was, but it was something along the lines of like, basically like why you're, why you're doing it. Uh, Understanding job satisfaction. Is that what it was? Yeah, understanding job satisfaction, why you like doing what you do, why you like being you in the workplace. Yeah. So for me, you know, as a coach, and I totally agree with you, and I love that that's the impact that you want to make, and you are making, you've been doing it for 25 years now. Um, But with, I feel like with coaches and people, it's and consultants and therapists and all that, like you said, it's working on us. For me, like, I think what really drew me to the coaching piece, and you've mentioned some pieces to this, but it's like, because of my childhood because I went through all this like trauma and pain that I was in construction work. And it's very like blunt, just like, it reminded me of my childhood really. And like my father and just kind of the whole mentality behind it and everything. I was like, I feel like I'm just like stuck in the same area or environment. And um, with coaching, it felt like a breath of fresh air because like, I never want my kids to go through what I Mm. went through, you know, and any of that. It's like, I want them to be able to be listened to rather than just getting shut out. Cause that's what I dealt with, you know, as a kid. And, um, there were good times in my relation or my family too, but the majority of it, when I look back, it sucked. It wasn't fun. And, uh, yeah, I just, I think that what's amazing about the coaching is that you get to be a leader, you know, and that's why mm-hmm. I work so hard on me because I know I, w- I would love to have kids. I don't have kids right now, but, um, I intend to, and I want to just, yeah, give them that kind of space and that in enjoyment and always being there with them. And that's the beauty of a coaching business. If you make it that way, where you can work anywhere, you can work but aren't at your you house. Still, aren't you still a construction? Aren't you still in construction? You're no longer yeah. building buildings. You're building people. Yeah. As a coach, you are still in construction. You're, you're from the legs to the thighs, to the stomach, to the head. Right. You are in construction, buddy. You yeah. haven't moved on. Yeah. Right. I know. Right. But Hey, uh, yeah, but it it is very much in alignment with me and just like the stories that I know for teaching people. And I share stories on stages and stuff, the metaphors and stuff. It's like, Oh, I could share that with a kid, you know? And it's, it, uh, yeah, all of it's just, I think that that's like the biggest reason what really drew me is that yes, it can be a very like wonderful profession, like financially and just rewarding Mm -hmm. for you. Um, but I think the biggest thing is that I get to do something that I love, which is mm-hmm. being there for people and being compassionate with people. And I can, it's very lucrative as well. And, uh, more importantly is that I get to provide that kind of space for my kids. And if it's mm-hmm. just like what I do all the time, that's like my job, it's being with kids. It's just who I am. And I get to just do more of that. So 
Yeah. Isn't that the, really... the lesson we need to learn to do what's best for you to, to pick a job that plays to your strengths, to, yeah. to choose a position in life that moves to like my love of learning and wisdom. I'm a speaker who teaches. I yeah. mean, hello, it's right. not rocket science. Yeah. It's the alignment piece. I really believe yes. with the burnout portion, you know, when you're really in alignment, because when you're speaking on stages, it doesn't suck energy from you. It gives you energy. Everything's energy. Absolutely. You probably feel pumped after like player oh, speaking, or if absolutely. you like are getting ready, you have that adrenaline, like, oh man, I'm going to go out on stage. But then you do yeah. it and you're like, oh, this release, it was amazing. So yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, the, the best jobs for us are the ones that are most in alignment with who we mm-hmm. are, our core values. So Barbara, I could literally talk to you all day <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> uh, and I'd love to continue this conversation just um, as friends, you know, and just colleagues and whatnot. So mm-hmm. this is amazing, but uh, I love your MPI. I, I enjoy you as well. And um, yeah, just curious, where can people learn more about you, find mm-hmm. you, find your book? Where's the best place for people to go? My website is griefworkcenter.com or barbarubel.com, R-U-B-E-L. And my book is, But I Didn't Say Goodbye, Helping Families After a Suicide. Third edition just came out in 2020. Get LinkedIn with me at Barbara Rubel and um, reach out to me at Griefwork or online. And um, I'm all over the internet. So if people want to see more videos, so they just got to type in Barbara Rubel or go to YouTube or my, my website, Griefwork Center. And thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk with you today. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Now you know where to find her. I'll put links in the description. If you'd like to learn more about me or you'd want to book a call, you know, I'd love to talk with you. I love talking with people. It's kind of my job, Uh, but I'll put a link in the description where you can check out a page, learn more about me, get some goodies. And then if you feel like it, feel free to book a call with me. That's my gift to you. So Barbara, any final thoughts or words you wanted to share before we close out? Yeah. Just take care of yourself today. Don't worry so much about tomorrow. Just right now, find something that's going to tickle your funny bone, uh, Mm. eat a good meal and call a friend you haven't spoken to in a very long time and just be safe. Yeah. It's the little things. Absolutely. Right on. Well, for the listener, take what you learned here and get out there and make your own massive positive impact. We'll see you in the next one.